Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Say it before I let you pass. You got to be able to say it. Say say what? Say what I made that guy ahead of you say. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. What what, what was that word again? You got to say shibboleth. Say it. Say shibboleth. Shibboleth. All right, you can go on through. And then this man stops the next guy behind him. And hey, say the word. Shibboleth. All right, come on, come on through. You can get your goods through. And here they were standing at the ford of the Jordan River. And a ford, F-J-O-R-D, is basically a passageway across the Jordan River. And this was a main thoroughfare where people used to get their goods across from the east side of the Jordan to the west side of the Jordan. From the Transjordan area up into Ephraim and up into Upper Israel, they, they had to get across various parts of the Jordan. Well, these guards of a tribe or a group of people called the Gileadites, they were stopping traffic and asking him to say this word shibboleth well this guard saying all right the next person come on come up here say it and the man says shibboleth all right you're allowed through but little did he know three or four people behind three or four merchants behind there was a man trembling in his boots trying so hard to say sh 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 shibboleth shibboleth you know muttering under his breath shibboleth 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 he couldn't say it that's the problem he couldn't say it because instead of going sh shibboleth he kept saying sibboleth sibboleth but he kept trying the sh you know, the weird thing is, is we don't really know what shibboleth meant back then. It's a Jewish word that basically meant ear of grain or or a flowing water or some type of flow, you know, whether it's water or some streams. It described the flow of water or it described an ear of grain. You know, and that's such an odd word. Shibboleth, shibboleth, sibboleth. But this man, he couldn't do the sh, 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 the sh sound. And he's trembling in his boots because if he's caught, you know what's going to happen to him? Well, I'm going to tell you here what happens to him. But 
how did we get to this point in the first place? Why are we stopping people who are trying to just do a trade and making them say the word shibboleth? And how does this relate to the book of Judges? Well, remember, last time we were looking at a judge named Jephthah. And Jephthah was a man who did right on one hand. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he led the Gileadites against the Ammonites and totally destroyed him and wiped him out. And yay, they had gotten victory and Jephthah had tried to do right, but he also did stupidly. He said, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. And out came his daughter. And he was thinking animals that were going to be the first thing coming out. And so in this character named Jephthah, we have a person who does right, but he also does incredibly stupid, wrong things. And remember, that's the book of Judges, right? There's no peace anymore. They have inherited leader after leader who just does dumb things and who does right things, but they have this carnal spirit. Jephthah may have been worshiping other gods while worshiping Yahweh. His background is messed up. Well, Jephthah led the Gileadites into battle against the Ammonites on the east side of the Jordan, and he wiped them out. And yes, they were free of that oppression. And they were coming back excited about what had happened. They, they, were, they were probably cheering, yes, we had wiped out the Ammonites, yes. And they were so excited. And then comes along a tribe I'd like to call Debbie Downer. You know that person who everybody's excited, yay, something great happened, and then somebody says, well, you know, and they give you this negative news and this negative opinion, and you're like, ugh, thanks, bringing down the team, that's depressing. Well, we meet one of the tribes of Israel, there's 12, well, one of them is named Ephraim, and Ephraim is a downer-type tribe, because they always come along... And they always cause trouble after the thrilling battle is over. Well, here we are in Judges chapter 12. Ephraim, they come along here and they confront Jephthah. And they say, hey, Jephthah, why did you not allow us to fight with you? Why didn't you allow us to have some of that glory? Why did you cross over and fight the Ammonites and you didn't call us to go with you? You know, what's weird is the Ephraimites, the people of Ephraim, they did the same thing to Gideon. Gideon had just won this fantastic battle all the way back in Judges chapter 8. Gideon had won this fantastic battle and everything is great. Yay! But here comes Debbie Downer. Hey, Ephraim says, how come you didn't allow us to fight with you? How come you didn't go with us? And they were threatening Gideon. They weren't just upset, you know, I wanted to go, man, that's a bummer. I wanted some of the glory, you know, I wanted some of, no, they were threatening Gideon. You should have had us, this is a great dishonor, we are about to fight you ourselves. And Gideon responded with tact, if you remember, and said, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to send that message, I apologize. 
Well, Ephraim pulls the same trick with Jephthah. It's interesting to me, after the battle is over, after all the hard work is over, these people come up and complain. And man, isn't that true? Sometimes you're serving the Lord, you're trying to do your best, and people come out of the woodwork. You know, you've just had a great spiritual victory. Maybe you put on a great event. Or, or, or maybe you had a great time in the Lord. Or maybe you had a great Sunday school lesson. Or maybe you had a great sermon. Or I don't know, whatever it happens to be. And then somebody comes along, well, have you thought about this? Or how come you didn't say this? And I was a little offended that you chose that word and not this word. And you're like, why? Why after the spiritual victory is over, you come out and complain now? Well, it's the same thing with Ephraim here. After the battle is over, after the hard work was done, then they come out and complain. How come you didn't allow us to go fight with you? And the thing, weird thing is, is they should have just been happy. They didn't lose anybody in their tribe. Jephthah did all the hard work. They're now free to live and be who they want to be in the land of Israel. But I don't know where the strange jealousy comes from that they did the same thing to Gideon earlier on, and now they're doing it to Jephthah. Just listen. Next time they call a battle, maybe you don't have the right people listening to the right things so that you can go into battle with, with whoever's leading into battle. It's not their fault. It's your fault. Well, Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, they're blaming Jephthah, saying, how come you left us out? That wasn't fair, and here we are. We could have fought with you, and everybody got the honor, and Ephraim didn't get the honor, and they're not just upset they got left out. They are threatening Jephthah's life. They say, because you didn't allow us to fight with you, we will burn your house over you with fire. I mean, what is wrong with the tribe of Ephraim? We're going to burn you in your house? That's how angry you are? Because you want to battle with because you want to battle without us? What is wrong with Ephraim? Well, Jephthah? He is not Gideon. And he is not going to put up with this. Number one, Jephthah says, I did call you. It's not my fault if you didn't hear it. I did call you. You never came. Now, one of the problems is we don't actually have any proof that Jephthah actually did call Ephraim to the battle. Now, maybe Jephthah is lying or maybe it's just not covered in the earlier chapter, and he did, and they never came to rally around the troops. I don't know, but Jephthah says, hey, I did call you, and when I called you, you didn't come. And so when you didn't come, I just decided to cross over into the Ammonites and do my own thing. Well, Jephthah could have left it there. And maybe done a little bit of tact like Gideon and apologized and Ephraim would have gone back and everything would have been fine. But Jephthah has got this carnal side and he is furious with them. And he basically gathers all the men of Gilead and he fights with Ephraim. He says, you're going to burn a house over me? You're going to try to kill me? Well, guess what? Here 
comes the pain. And all of Gilead then come back and fight Ephraim. This is sort of like a mini civil war. They're fighting. They're not fighting some external enemy. Now they're fighting within another tribe. The men of Gilead are Israelites and they're fighting other Israelites. And it says the men of Gilead struck Ephraim and basically crushed them. And it's interesting to me, you know, Ephraim said, how come he didn't let us fight? And then Gilead says, all right, we're going to fight you. And Ephraim isn't that great of fighters. Even if they wanted to fight, I don't think they're that good. Well, the tribe of Gilead under Jephthah comes in and crushes them and totally destroys them. And it says that Jephthah killed up to 42,000 Ephraimites. That's a huge amount of men who died. But he wanted to get them all. Jephthah is furious. And again, this is not a godly character. This is all about vengeance on this complaining, whining tribe that's been threatening his family. Guess what? I just lost my daughter. I can't ever have her back again. I'm so mad about that whole vow thing that he did. I'm not going to be able to see her again. He's grumpy to begin with. Well, he just lets his wrath out on Ephraim. And it says he killed 42,000 Ephraimites. And one of the ways he did it was he didn't let the men of Ephraim run back to their hill country. So the battle against the Ammonites took place on the east side of the Jordan. Well, as they're coming back from the battle, the men of Ephraim cross the Jordan. And they're on the east side of the Jordan where they're confronting Jephthah with their complaint. And Jephthah says, no way. And he begins to fight them and battle them and and kill them and slaughter them. And like I said, they lose up to 42,000 men. Well, the men of Ephraim begin to run away. But they're on the east side of the Jordan. And their home is on the west side of the Jordan, up in the hill country. And they're trying to get across. Well, Jephthah gets ahead of them stops the fords of Jordan and basically gets ahead of them and gets the trade routes crossing those fords where they would ford the Jordan River and he set up guards and he said all right if you're coming through here which everybody had to if you're an Ephraimite you are dead well I'm sure there were some men of Ephraim who tried to ford the Jordan River. Maybe they tried to swim, and they would try to find some other route, and, and Jephthah caught them there, or maybe they drowned. Well, then they had a whole bunch who tried to sneak across these bridges, across these fords. How would you spot a man of Ephraim? How would you spot somebody who's part of this tribe? They look just like you. They look just like an Israelite. How are you going to spot him from Jephthah's perspective? Well, he knew one way. And he knew that the men and the people of Ephraim had a certain accent, a certain way of talking. And you could distinctly tell somebody from the tribe of Ephraim Because they had this accent. It's sort of like, I'm from the Midwest, but I have friends who are from the South. And they have a certain sound and a certain way of talking. 
And then I have friends who I won't even try it from the New England area or out east, and they park the car and Harvard Yard. They they have a certain sound, and then and then you have people out in California, dude, and they have a certain sound of the way they talk. But we all have different accents. But here, this isn't just an accent, but they had a sound, a phoneme. A phoneme is the smallest unit of language. It's how we shape our sounds. It's the very sounds we use to shape our words. Well, the men and women of Ephraim, they couldn't do the sh sound, the sh sound, sh. All they could do when they had to make a word that had the sh sound was do an S sound. I have friends who, who instead of the letter R, they'll use the letter L because they can't really do that R R sound very well. It's not part of their language. Or, or I have friends who speak Spanish and they roll their R's. And if I ever had to say a word where I had to roll my R, I'd be in big trouble because I can't roll any R sound. I'll sound like a pirate. You know, it's really bad. And so Jephthah and his men knew these people from Ephraim. They can't say the sh sound. So let's think of a word. What word could we come up with that would force them to say that sound and we'd be able to pick them out? And they're thinking, well, you know, there's there's Sandy. No, 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 no. Shandy? No, no, no. Shave. No, no. Oh, 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 somebody says, I know the word for grain or ear or the word for flow, shibboleth. Oh, I like that, says Jephthah. So they stop everybody. And where the people are trying to cross the Jordan River, they say, all right, say shibboleth. Shibboleth, all right, you're through. All right, say shibboleth. Shibboleth, all right, you're through. Say shibboleth. Shibboleth. Whack. Chop your head off, you're dead. Okay, say shibboleth, shibboleth, say shibboleth, sip, sip, whack, clunk, you're dead. And they just killed people. This is a clever way to catch people, but I wonder how many other tribes couldn't say that word. Is it just the people from Ephraim? And like I said in my earlier example, if this man who was trying so hard, I keep thinking if my life was dependent on it, could I come up with a way of saying the sh sound? You know, if I had to. And from my earlier example, I can imagine that man finally gets up to the guard and they say, all right, hey, say ear of grain. Shibboleth. Uh, can you say that again? Shibboleth. Oh, that's not close enough. Whack. Dead. I don't know. But this is brilliant on one hand to catch people who have a certain accent to say, you know what? I know you're of the tribe of Ephraim because you can't say the sh sound. But on the other hand, this shows the downward spiral of judges, this chaotic nature of Israel, because now we have Israelites fighting Israelites. And instead of using tact like Gideon, he uses this trick to try to get more and more of the men and women and the people of Ephraim so he can kill them. And like I said, 42,000 fell that day. All because of the pride of Ephraim. And I wonder if they thought, why in the world did we complain? If they had just kept their mouths shut and not complained. But that's the problem, right? Pride rears its ugly head. And you feel like, I got left out. 
I want some of that glory. That's not fair. And it ended up killing 42,000 people. Well, Jephthah, after he slaughtered them, he then judged Israel for six years. I mean, not long. Really not long in comparison to other judges. But he judged for six years and then he died. And then three, what we would call minor judges in chapter 12, rose up. The first one was a man named Ibzan of Bethlehem, and he judged Israel. Now, people think this is not the Bethlehem of Judah, because usually in the Bible, when it is the Bethlehem of Judah where Jesus was born, it says Bethlehem of Judah. This just says Bethlehem. And there's another Bethlehem up in the tribe of Zebulun, and so many people think that's where this Ibzan lived, and that's where he was born. Well, some of those earlier minor judges, they sort of acted like kings, and Gideon ended up acting like a king. Well, Ibsen does the same thing. It says he had 30 sons and 30 daughters, and he gave them in marriage outside his clan so that he would gain prestige and so that he brought in other tribes to his coalition. And it seems right at this point that Israel is breaking into little city-states, and Ibsen was sort of judging over this whole Israel, but his main base of operation there was in Bethlehem, and Zebulun, and he sort of lorded it over there, maybe? I don't know, but it says he judged Israel for seven years. So Jephthah for six, Ibzin for seven years. Then arose another judge named Elon. Elon the Zebulunite, and he judged Israel for ten years. And it just says he died. And then a judge, Abdon, the son of Hillel, rises up, and he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, and they all rode on 70 donkeys. Again, riding a donkey back then was a sign of prestige. Why not a horse? I don't know. Maybe horses were just super expensive, or maybe they just weren't enough in that area. I don't know, but in the land of Israel during this time, a sign of prestige was a donkey, and his children rode on 70 donkeys and again 40 sons 30 grandsons 70 donkeys this would take wealth and power and prestige and abdon had it so he judged israel for eight years and then he dies and then there comes another judge one of the most famous judges of all time this judge epitomizes all the brilliance and the beauty and the majesty of what God can do with a judge who is committed to following him. But he also epitomizes the depth of depravity, the depth of carnality that can happen when you stop obeying God obey your own lusts and your own desires you know who that judge is we'll come back next time and we will find out who that judge is but right now israel's in chaos and jephthah he didn't really help the situation but this next judge that's going to come up he's going to drive israel into even more chaos 
And this happens when pride erupts and when you stop following scripture and when you say, I'm going to obey my own desires more than what the Bible says or back then what the Torah, what the law says, I'm going to follow what I want. Or maybe the Torah and the law is so far removed from most of these people, they haven't read it in so long. Instead, they're just driven by their passions and their desires. And what does it lead to chaos? And like I've said before, I hope and pray that one thing we take from the book of Judges is that we need to know Scripture. And we need to come back to what does God say about a matter? And don't just be led by, what does the book of Judges say? The people did what was right in their own eyes. We can't do that. We have to do what is right according to Scripture. And we have the whole Bible. If anybody can do it, we can. And we have it on our phones. We have it in digital format. We have the Bible in copious formats here in America. You can get so many versions. We can be people of the book. And I pray that we are. And I pray that instead of doing what is right in our own eyes, we will obey what we find in scripture every day thank you for listening to bald head bible podcast if you have any questions or comments we would love to hear from you you can comment on our facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com if you would like to support this podcast please check out our patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible bald head bible podcast making the bible come to life New episodes added every week.